But anyway, so it is an honor and a privilege to have him with us today. He is an ARP minister. Uh, he is uh, very familiar with our denomination um, and very familiar with the word of God. And so it is a pleasure and an honor to have you come and bring God's word today. So please, uh, I'm going to sit down and be quiet and give you the, the microphone and ask that you share with us what God has laid on your heart. So Dr. Carroll, thank you. Come. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Sounds like an Old Testament name, but it's a New Testament book. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, a whole bunch of Paul books, a little tiny Philemon, then you hit Hebrews. You hit James, you went too far. So we're in the book of Hebrews. And we're actually going to look at somewhat of a famous verse. We're in chapter 4, and uh, the famous line that mostly we're going to talk about is actually in verse 12. And that line is, the Word of God is living. We're going to try and explain that. What does that really mean when you think about it? The Word of God is living. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, we've got to explain that not on the surface obvious what that really means. The Word of God is living. Um, And that's a fairly famous line in the Bible. Uh, You may, you may not know it. So we're going to look at the context of where that comes from. The Word of God is living, uh, and then we're going to apply it. And for most of you, it should actually be a comforting verse. The Word of God is living. That's a good thing. However, also in context, it's a little bit of a yell at verse. So we'll look at it, and you're going to decide whether it's comforting or it's a yell at uh, uh, as you uh, look at the text and meditate with me on uh, the text. Uh, let me read 4, 11 through 13. Again, mostly we're going to be on 12 right in the beginning. Uh, hear the written word of God. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For The word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. It's discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God is living. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how grand you are, how you change us, and you change us in many ways, but one way through the word of God, it's living. Be with us, help us understand, help us apply to each of us as we read this text, May we love you more, that we be comforted by you more. And if need be, may we be convicted by you. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I'm going to work myself through the paragraph, and then we're going to come back to and spend more time on the Word of God is living. Okay, reading verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest 
so that no one may be fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is actually, this paragraph is really the end of a long section. If you have your Bible, look all the way back to chapter 3, verse 7, starts this long discussion into chapter 4, and then 11 through 13 is sort of the final paragraph uh, of this big long section, and then really chapter 4, verse 14 starts a new thing. Uh, so it's the ending of this big long section. And he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Now what's he talking about? He's using rest there in the sense of the new heavens and new earth. I, let me get to the end game. Let me get to heaven. And then he's going to use, uh, the author of Hebrews used an analogy, and if you run your eyes over, he used the analogy of Israel was brought out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness. And everything looked good because they were going up to north to Israel, which would have been their rest. So they're going to get to the land, the promised land, the rest. And then that was a pattern or typological of the new heavens and new earth. But, he says, not everybody, due to sin, not everybody who came out of Egypt got up to Israel. They didn't all get to the rest. And that's a lesson, he's saying, that not everybody in the, what we call, visible church that we can see means you're a true believer. Not everybody that came out of Israel was a true believer. Not everybody, as he's writing this letter to a church, not everybody a true believer. Um, and there's a warning there. So verse 13, uh, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let us keep going. Let's have confidence. We're on the way to the new heavens and the earth so that no one may fall, like they did in the wilderness, the same sort of disobedience. Okay, so verse 12. For, now why is he going to have four here? Because he's going to give the wording. And the point is going to be, and we'll pound away later, the word of God, God knows your heart. For the word of God is living, he knows your heart. He knows whether you're faking it or not. That's the point he's making. Uh, and he's going to make other points, but that's one of the main points. For the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierces the vision of soul and spirit, joints and marrows, discerning the hearts, the thoughts and intention of the heart. Uh, so he's saying... As in the wilderness, some were outwardly part of Israel, but they weren't inwardly part of Israel. So he's saying everyone needs to be serious about the faith, which he believes most of them are, but uh, this is a warning to those that aren't uh, and a warning to those that are sort of on the fence. Okay. I'm going to say a little bit about the Word of God is living now, and then I'll come back to it. The Word of God. Now, what does that expression really mean? Now, sometimes you hear Word of God, you mean the Bible. Now, in another sense, it's the Word of God is God speaking. The Word of God, meaning God speaking. The Word spoken by God. Now, interestingly, he has a, he's kind of summarizes the Word of God as Old Testament uh, things, uh, New Testament things, and then actually preaching later in the book, chapter 13, verse 7. Uh, listen to those who speak 
the word of God. Also notice, go to chapter 3, verse 7, if you have your Bible. And how does this word of God come? God doing the speaking. Look at verse there, uh, 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes uh, verse uh, 95. So he's saying God inspired the, the Bible. But then look at verse 13. Chapter 3, 13. And he's saying, okay, notice that Psalm 95, it says, today, if you hear his voice, back way back in Psalm 95. And then the author of Hebrews says, he's still speaking today. Today, if you hear his voice and go to uh, verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. So the Holy Spirit spoke to inspire the Bible, and he also speaks when the Bible's written is the point he's making. And so here, if you summarize, what does the Word of God mean in uh, all of the book of Hebrews? It would be personal Bible reading, but also preaching, as we find out later in the book. And I'm going to come back to that discussion. Okay, the next line in verse 12. So I'm at 4.12. The Word of God is living. Or excuse me, the Word of God, now we're on living. The Word of God is living. Uh, the old King James had quick, uh, which was an older word. Quick meaning you're moving, you're not dead. So it was living, an old word. Uh, it's living. And in fact, if you had your Greek text, uh, actually Greek can jerk words around like we cannot do this in English, but they can. In, so the, really the text starts out, living is the word of God and active and sharper than two any stories. So of all that whole rigmarole, list he gives in verse 12, living is his main one that he's putting the emphasis on. Uh, again, go back, so it's a, the word is living. Go back to verse, chapter 3, verse 12. Okay, quote Psalm 95. Take care, brothers, lest there be any evil, unbelieving hearts leading you fall away from the living God. Oh, there's the living God, and the word of God is living. Okay, so how does this make sense, that the word of God is living. I'll give a shot at it. Okay, think of, it's a living person. A person is talking to you. The Word of God, God speaking, He's living. He's talking to you. And He can, assume it's a human-to-human -human situation, like my lovely wife. Uh, many times, she talks to me I sort of, you know, take out the garbage, honey. I sort of heard her. But she can read me. He's not going to do it. Uh, or he'll do it. I'll have to tell him five more times before he'll get around it. Okay, so when you speak, when a human speaks to somebody, okay, you spoke, and you can read that person. Now, of course, this is not just a human to human. This is God. God looks at you, and he more than just can, he can omnisciently read you. He can see you. He knows what you're thinking. See, the word of God comes to you, either by preaching or you reading, and God, who is the speaker, but God is also providentially controlling things, he knows whether you really believe or not. 
Positively, he knows you believe. And negatively, if you're not a believer, he knows. See, the word of God, the God, person speaking to you, speaks to you and he knows you. He can infallibly read you. He's living. He knows whether you're listening. My wife, not infallibly, but she knows whether I'm really going to take the garbage out or not after she told me to take the garbage out. Right, honey? Yeah, yeah okay. It's the thing I cannot remember to do. Uh, or to say it another way, a living God speaks a living word. And I'm going to come back to this again. Okay, let me get through here. The word of God is living. It's active. Or the old King James, it's powerful. The word of God is not just that God knows what you're thinking when, he, when you read the Bible or you hear a sermon. It's not just that he knows what you're thinking. It's now an extra step. He can change you through the Bible. He knows what you're thinking and he can change you. It's powerful. It's active. It's changing. And by grace, he changes you to believe and further do good works for God. But also for a non-believer, it's judging. He's judging you. Now hopefully you'll repent. But at some point, he's judging you. Okay, and then he says, going on in the text, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. Uh, and this is just a rhetorical way of saying, God knows your heart. There aren't a, two different things, a soul and a spirit. That's the same thing. It seems to say the same thing. We could call it two different things, but it's the same thing. You know, you have one body. Well, he could split the joint and the spirit or something, or the joint and the marrow. But what he really means, that was more of a metaphor. Look at the end of 12. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of your heart. The living God uses the living word and he knows what you're thinking. He knows if you're faking church. Now, if you're a true believer, he knows you're a true believer, even though you sin. He knows you're a true believer. Yeah, at some level, we're all hypocritical, but he knows if you're a true believer, so it's comforting. And in fact, you can see that verse 12 has got a lot of rhetorical kind of things to it, uh, and he's ending this long unit. Now, even though in context it's more of a negative thing, however, you can imagine that this statement, the word of God is living active, that this was a standard speech probably the author of Hebrews gave a hundred times. You know, Mrs. Smith, how are you doing today? Oh, I used the Bible to help me. Oh, the Word of God is living, active. You can see that's just a standard speech. So even though in context, it's more on the negative side, it's sort of proverbial. It's a, it can be in many contexts a positive speech. The Word of God is living. And I'm guessing a lot of you take it that way. The Word of God is living, active. That's a positive. Um, so it has a broader application than just right here. And then you read the rest of the book. 
uh, a lot of positives in the book of uh, Hebrews. Okay, now let's go to verse 13. We'll be on that for just a minute, and then we're going to come back to the word of God is living. Verse 13, and no creature, meaning human, is hidden from his, God's, sight, but all are naked, exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, he's sort of deaf, the author of Hebrews deftly moves from the word of God reading you, and now he just more explicitly says it, God is reading you. No creature. And there's also a now part of it. No creature right now is hidden from him. Your internal, what you're thinking, what you're doing. And it has an end game to whom we must give an account at the end. The judgment. It's just another way of saying God is omniscient, fancy word, all-knowing. All God is all-knowing. Okay, given that context, let's go back to the word, the word of God is living, and uh, what does it mean for today? Okay, now, the Bible is a written document, and it's objectively the word of God. Whether you believe it or you don't believe it, it's the word of God. Uh, God had it written in the past, and whoever's reading it, whether they believe it or not, it is, objectively speaking, the word of God. But in addition, and now we're on the in addition, there's a dynamic aspect to the Bible. It's living. God uses the written word of God in a special way when it's read or preached. Uh, now, the preaching assuming you're preaching accurately derivative of the Bible. <laughs> Not that Hank ever makes a mistake, but uh, that wouldn't be the word of God. But uh, accurately, do, uh, the, the preached word of God is the word of God when it's accurately derivative of the written word of God. Um, here I'm quoting from the uh, Shorter Catechism, 89. How is the word made effectual to salvation? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convicting, convincing sinners, converting them, building them up in holiness through faith unto salvation. Uh, and uh, the parallel logic catechism quotes our verse, verse 12. Say it another way. Christians understand when we read or hear a sermon, read the Bible or hear a sermon, we're not simply although this is true, we're not simply applying the truths of what we hear, although from your perspective, that's what you're doing, but the Bible tells us more is going on than that. Almighty God is truly speaking through the person of the Holy Spirit, and he's using the Bible primarily to comfort and aid you, but sometimes to convict you and to change you, and sometimes to judge you. Christians believe it's not just their mind that's applying the Bible. It's the Holy, the Bible says it's the Holy Spirit, if you're a true believer, applying the Bible. Yes, God uses many ways to change us. Coffee at McDonald's, talking to somebody, some event in your life. Yes, there's many ways God uses, but one of the primary ways is the Bible. 
and hearing people speak about the Bible. Now, uh, Christians down through the centuries and many, many stories have been changed by the Bible. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit, God. Christians in this room have been and are being changed by the Bible. And we believe ultimately that's the Holy Spirit using the Bible to change you. Okay, so in your Bible, look at chapter 4, beginning of verse 12. The Word of God is living. Now, have you been acting like you really believe that? Now, due to sin, we don't do this perfectly. But do you believe that? The Word of God is living. God is speaking to me through the Bible and by the power of the Holy Spirit changing me. There's both the Bible changes me in the big picture sense. I believe in Christ. I believe in the Trinity. I believe Christ is the God-man. I believe I'm a sinner. I have faith in Christ. And therefore, my sins are forgiven through Christ. His perfect righteousness is given to me. Uh, okay, these are these, you know, and I'm living for him now. I'm going to the new heavens and new earth. Big picture things from the Bible, but also little things. You know, little, I read this proverb, and this will help me interact with my lovely wife better. Uh, you know, little things. Important, but still little. Okay, this text this text is on the big stuff. This is a big stuff text. Think of those people in the wilderness. Are you going to get to the rest or aren't you? Do you believe that the word of God is big and he's got big things to say? Now, since this text is a big one, but it implies also to all the little things in the Bible, I thought we'd look at a couple texts in the book of Hebrews that are big ones. And we're going to ask ourselves, do I really believe what that text says? Okay, so let's go to chapter 9. So flip a couple chapters. Verse 22. We're going to look at, okay, he's in a section of uh, Hebrews here, 8 through 10 and a half, where he's looking at Old Testament ceremonial law, tabernacle stuff and saying this was a foreshadowing of Christ to come. Okay, look at the second half of 22. Second half of 22, chapter 9, 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Punishment must be paid to forgive sins in the big picture. We're God is holy, we have sinned, he's just. Something must be done. Without the shedding of blood, there is no ultimate forgiveness. You know, we can forgive other people in the scenarios, but ultimately they've offended God. We're to forgive them, but ultimately... The shedding of blood is needed for ultimate forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Now go to chapter 10, verse 1. Now he's going to talk about the Old Testament. Since, for since the law, meaning the ceremonial law, was but a shadow of the good things to come into the New Testament, 
Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by its same, by the same sacrifice are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Yes, there were blood sacrifices in the Old Testament, but they were just a foreshadowing of the true sacrifice, which was Christ. Go down to chapter 10, verse 4. It's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We need blood to take away sins. It cannot be an animal blood. So where is he marching to? We need blood. Can't be animal blood. And then the glorious verse 5. Consequently, and he's saying back in eternity when the Father and the Son talked, Christ came into the world, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body, a human body. You prepared for me. Go down to chapter 10, verse 10. Now we'll be uh, sanctified through the, here it is, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So sitting there, do you believe that you're a sinner and the holy and just God who out of love sent Christ, but blood needs to be spilled. This God is so holy, and we are so sinful for communication to take place. God is so designed, a punishment is required, and out of love, he solved it by sending his own son, not uh, our blood. Again, the second half of 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Verse 10.4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, verse 10, we need the body of Jesus Christ once for all. As the book of Hebrews said, he was both the priest and the victim. Uh, as uh, many people through church history. He's both the priest, he offered the offerer, but he was also the victim. He offered himself out of love. Notice how high a view of sin these texts have. But also notice how high a view of God's love to send his own son these texts have. So the word of God is living. Do these texts from 9 and 10, do one, hopefully, they comfort you. Yes, I believe these texts. And confirm your Christian faith. Option number two, maybe these texts have convinced you and convicted you to repent and put your faith in Christ for the first time or convicted you to be more serious about your Christian faith. Or option three, inwardly you're laughing. This is idiotic. Yes, the preacher's saying what the Bible says, but the Bible's idiotic. I don't believe a word of this. I trust you'll be convicted by God to change. You know, another way, are you a faker? You may not think God knows it. You don't believe any of this. 
But the Bible says God knows it. I trust you'll be convicted. Conclusion. The word of God is living. God providentially changes us in many ways. One major way is through the word of God. Reading and hearing people talk about it from the Bible. Preaching. The Bible is objectively what God said, but also dynamically God uses it through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to primarily change Christians, but also to convict people who are non-Christians. Our verse, 12a, the Word of God is living, although a somewhat negative context for those who may be faking church, but also just the way the word is, uh, the verse is worded, it's a word you can take and apply to anywhere. The word of God is living, active. Primarily, Christians are be, to be comforted by this passage that God changes us through the word in these big picture ways. I really do believe this. But also many other little smaller ways through the Bible. Hence, may you and I be motivated by this text through the power of the Holy Spirit to one, be even more attentive to the reading and preaching or people talking about the Bible. And two, when we are changed by the Bible, reading, preaching, acknowledge okay I was changed from my perspective that was me but acknowledge ultimately it was the living God using the living Bible to change me just by grace I was changed not how smart I am it was by grace that the living God used the living word to change you and me let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how amazing are you and the love you had for us and the many ways you change us, including the Bible. May we thank you for what you have done through Christ for us. I pray this in the name of the victim, the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us so much, he died for us. Amen.